Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. We help organizations all across the United States streamline, optimize, implement, and revolutionize their HR operations. We've helped hundreds of companies and thousands of HR leaders across the world get their people processes right. Today, we are interviewing Ralph Peterson. He is the owner and operator of Ralph Peterson LLC, which is a management development company. It specializes in helping mission-driven organizations build five-star management teams, primarily in the long-term care industry. In addition to Ralph uh, Peterson LLC, Ralph is also a number one best-selling author, internationally syndicated columnist, highly sought-after management development coach, and a public speaker. So we're excited to have him on. We thought with his intersection between the long-term care worlds of medicine uh, and management in general, he'd be a great guest on today's podcast. Before we bring him on, though, I want to ask you, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any podcatcher of your choice. You can also subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, where you will get exclusive subscriber-only content. I look forward to seeing you on there. Now, let's get over to Ralph. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Man, I'm excited to have you. You have uh, such an interesting and long career in in long-term care health wards, which I guess is another word for like nursing homes, right? Nursing homes, that's right. And so why do you think you focus in on that versus, you know, management of long-term care nursing homes? Like, how did that happen? Well, it, it really what happened was I was always looking for... I've worked in everything. I started out in housekeeping. That was my first job. I was 16 years old working on housekeeping. And then I went into, you know, fast food. I've worked in construction. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then I ended up, I was in the Marine Corps. And then when I got out of the Marine Corps, I answered a blind ad for a management, for a company looking for a manager. There was a company that was growing by leaps and bounds, working in management, and it was super intriguing to me. I've always wanted to be in charge. I got my first management job when I was 16 years old. It looked, took like weeks to get. My, my boss had asked me, he said, hey, I'm, I'm expanding. I got a couple of other jobs, but I need somebody to run the, the day crew that's doing the lawn mowing. And I was six. I, I cannot tell you. I'm the youngest of four. I'd never been in charge of the remote control, you know, where we're going, what games we're playing, nothing. So when he said... I'm thinking about putting you in charge, making you the foreman. My head just went, I got so excited. Like I couldn't believe I was going to have this opportunity to be in charge. He finally puts me in charge on a nice rainy Monday morning. And about eight minutes later, I get fired for (laughs) fighting with my employee. (laughs) Oh, wow. An auspicious start. I, I lost my first manager job in eight minutes. And you know, he said something really interesting when he was bringing me home. He was driving me home and he said, you're never going to be able to be a manager if you don't understand you have to be better than everybody else. And the idea that I had to be better than everybody else kind of pissed me off. Kind of like, why do I have to be better than everybody else? Why Why do I have to hold my tongue when other people aren't holding their tongue? Why do I have to do the right thing? Why do I have to be the bigger person? And the truth is, of course, that's what separates managers from non-managers. Absolutely. Good leaders and bad leaders, but I didn't learn so until I was sixteen. Yeah, so you were sixteen. You try. You, you you had that, and then let me ask you this then. So, how would you think? Obviously, management principles. There's a whole study of management, right? There's all kinds of great things to learn. 
do you think that being in the uh, nursing homes or managers for nursing homes, do you think that there's any specific differences between management styles purely because of the medical profession you're in? Uh, or do you think it's pretty universally applicable? I think it's pretty universally pr- applicable. I think we, we all struggle with the same challenges and we all are drawing from the same recruitment pool. You know, a lot of times, mm-hmm. one of the biggest questions I get is, how do you, you know, the biggest challenge in management, especially for new managers, is that they come to us really great at a job and we take them, we promote those really great workers into a supervisor position and they fail miserably. And it's always right. the whole caddy response. Well, just because they're good at the job doesn't mean they'd be good managers. And while that is on its face true, it's completely lacking the real scope of things because we don't have any other choice. We don't. We have to look to the best employee as the one we're trying to promote and grow within our organization. Nobody goes, hey, you know who would be really great for this management job? Um, what's her name? She's not here today because she called out again and she never <laughs> gets her job done. But she'd be really great. Nobody ever does that. We right. always have to look to the person who is responsible, who, who smiles, who's good natured, who is smart, who is hardworking, who we don't have to constantly micromanage and be over on top of. We, we don't have any choice. We always have to promote the super worker into a supervisor. But of course, they don't have any idea. We all come into management thinking that everybody works just like us. And when we get in charge, oh, my God, I thought people were no longer going to have a, an alarm issue. I didn't think anybody was ever going to have, oh, my power went out. I didn't think anybody was going to have a sick <laughs> kid or a car breakdown. I thought everybody was going to love going to work for me. Boy, was I naive. A, nobody worked like me. That's why I was promoted. Nobody else was. <laughs> right. Right. B, I think the, the child care issues, the call out issues, the, the, the alarm clock issues, the car, they all increased when I got promoted. <laughs> so, so, Ralph, do you think that, so the, the, the penultimate question that I get a lot of times is, you know, running the HR company I do. Should people, you know, everyone talks about promoting from within. They want to, you know, rise through the ranks and bring people up. But on the other hand, that takes a lot of uh, skills training and investment, like you mentioned, in, in these manager uh, protocols, right? Because just because someone's good at, you know, at my business processing payroll doesn't mean they'd be good at leading a team of payroll processors or uh, being more like an operations manager with lots of different pieces. So, what would you say to those who are trying to decide between promoting internally and trying to develop the training or hope that they can turn this person into a good manager and recruiting externally someone who's already got these management principles now? I would say two things. Number one, I'm a huge fan of promoting with from within. I think finding somebody who already knows our business, who is already committed to our customers, who already fits is a good fit already. I think those are wins, win, 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 win. I think Mm. the challenge is, the challenge is distance in your departments. If your company is big enough that you can promote somebody, not only up, but away from their current group, there's a big success factor. But if you try to promote somebody up and they're staying in the same group, yesterday they were 
the employee along with everybody else, maybe a little better, but still just like everybody else. And then you pull them up. It's very hard for the rest of the team to give them the time of the day, give them the respect that they're trying to, you know, to give them any kind of um, any breaks if they make mistakes. You know, I mean, we're super critical of people who work with us and they get promoted and we didn't. And all of a sudden, mm. we're super hyper focused on all the mistakes that person makes. And all right. we're doing is we're, 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 whether it's intentional or not, we're undermining, we're back talking, we're setting each other up for failure. So if there can be some distance, I think that that's always better. The challenge with hiring a manager, the challenge with hiring a manager is similar to an outside manager, is similar to going when I went to the Marine Corps into boot camp. I was not familiar with shooting weapons. However, my bunkmate grew up in Kentucky. I grew up, I didn't grow up in, 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 uh, in, the, in, a country, in a country setting where he did. And he was very skilled at shooting. And when we got to the shooting range, they wanted to be able to teach how Marines are supposed to shoot, which they could easily show me because I've never handled a gun. But they couldn't show my bunkmate because he knew everything already. Mm-hmm. And that is the challenge with bringing in a manager with all that experience. Is they're going to come in, the first thing they're going to do is going to try to change everything. So like one of my roles when I hire a new manager from outside the organization is I swear, do not change anything. I appreciate your ideas. I appreciate your experience. I appreciate your knowledge. I want you to put it in your pocket for at least three months and run my operation exactly how I ask you to. Don't do it any other way. Just how I, I you see a thing you want to fix from great. Let's talk about it in three months. Yep. But too many new managers want to change right away. Yeah. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. you go ahead. No, 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 you're exactly right. We have the same rule when we bring in specialists, right? When we, technical specialists, that kind of thing. It's like you you can't come in and immediately uh, override, you know, how all taxes are calculated or even HR processes, these kind of things. You got to give a couple of months to exist inside the the organization to figure out. What's going yeah, on? you have no idea why we set those up. You have no idea. Right. You don't have the experience to see why we're doing it that way. It may seem a little odd or goofy to you from the outside, but there's probably a good reason. Probably. Here's, here's one thing that I think a lot of people don't highlight, especially when it comes to management training and development, is the, the math behind the success of new managers. And here's the math. There's approximately about 5 million people a year are promoted to leadership. Some of those are first-time managers, never been promoted to a leadership position. And some of those are transitional leadership positions. They went from the assistant to the manager, or they went from the, you know, the, the frontline manager to the district manager, or the district manager to the regional, right? Like there's those transitions as well. However, two-thirds, two-thirds of all of those management transactions, those promotions, fail in the first 90 days in America. Mm. Two-thirds. 3.3 million people got promoted today or going to get promoted today, going to be asked, hey, would you mind being in charge? Hey, you look like you could do it. You know, I've been watching you for a while. I think you're going to be really great at this. Do you mind doing it? And in, within 90 days, they're either going to be demoted. That means they go right back to where they were, which is very painful. Or mm-hmm. worse, maybe they're going to get terminated. Right. Within right. 90 days. So the question then becomes, what can we do as those of us who are in management development? I spend all my time. How do I 
recruit good people who can be managers? How do I identify good people who can grow up into the organization? And then how can I train them? How can I give them the tools they need to be successful? The last thing we want to do is find our best worker and have them quit or get fired or have to demote them in 90 days. Nobody wants to do that. Absolutely. What would you say, so our listeners vary in size from five-man shops up to 5,000-man shops. And and I often, when I'm, when I'm talking with someone like you, I think about, I try to think about the extremes. In a 5,000-man company, they've already normally got some management processes. They've got, you know, uh, strong uh, leadership development, or at least some level of leadership development. I'm sure they could improve it, but they're thinking about that. But I often think also about like the five and 10-man shop. And what I find when I see promotion of management over there, you mentioned it's normally a skilled worker, their favorite person. Awesome. We're going to promote them up to manager. They don't necessarily have much of the way of what the manager should do, only they should do what the boss did, be in charge. <laughs> and the other thing I see is they often are promoted to management along with maintaining some portion of their labor level responsibility. So, Say they are a uh, uh, CPA firm and it's like, it, this is tax season. I have a client like this. They've got um, uh, what they call, as they call them, junior associates, senior associates, and then junior partners and all these different kind of levels. But <clears throat> maybe this guy's in charge of a thousand tax returns and he's done a thousand tax returns year one. Next year he rocked out. He did 1200. It's now year three. And they're saying, all right, bud, I want to give you three junior associates uh, you're in charge of their work. And instead of doing a thousand tax returns this year, you only got to do 600 yourself, but your whole team's going to do 3000, right? Like it seems like there's some carryover of labor a lot of times in smaller companies. What do you think about that? And should it be absolutely avoided? Should, what are your, what are your thoughts around those? I, things? well, a couple of things. I am guilty of the same thing. So I have done the same thing where we've had We've, we've had an opportunity for somebody, you know, somebody leaves or gets promoted to another position. So we have an opportunity to bring somebody up, but we don't have the, we, we have the need for the manager right now. And I have the person I want to put in the position, but I don't have the person yet to replace the person I want to move into the position. Right. And so I'll try a hybrid. I'll be like, uh, can you do both for just now? And then I'm going to work hard to get, you know, to fill your position behind you so that you can do this full time. And it's very rarely worked for me. I, I, I wish I had better success with it. And I wish I, I, wish I could be um, a little dishonest and say that it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is, it is my fault. Um, and here's the reason it's my fault. The reason it's my fault is, as soon as I get that person promoted into the leadership role and they're doing their own job, I lose focus on the need of replacing their job. If I just move them out completely, then all my focus would be on that empty position that's open. I would have no choice. Right. Empty position, empty position, empty position. But as soon as I can take my eye off that ball, I take my eye off that ball. And it always hurts the person I'm trying to promote. The second thing that I would say is that it's my expectations that always get in the way. I should know that I – and the man, the new manager, first of all, everybody who gets – who wants to be promoted to a leadership position and gets the nod, even if it's a semi-nod, it is so hard not to go to your head. It is so hard not to take you – know, you'll feel that pride and can't wait to tell everybody and flex your new management muscles. It is so hard not to do it. 
And when you're not fully in the leadership position, it just, it expounds it. It makes it even worse. Mm. You know, it's bad already. It's like, it makes oh, it I'm even so worse. busy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my job and my new job. And that's so right. A lot that's right. And, and all of a sudden the, the cattiness creeps into their own voice. And it's very hard because again, everybody here's, here's, I started this conversation with this. Everybody expects, they expect it. They expect you to be better than them. They expect you to complain less, to eat more crow, to take more garbage, to do more work, to get in earlier, to stay later. They expect it, whether they say it or not, they expect you to be better than everybody else. And and replying to someone's uh, a subordinate's complaints that they're stressed out or worked out, you know, I just feel like I'm at my limit with, well, I do all that and 10 times more, buddy. <laughs> never is great management. Right? That never really gets you very far in the conversation. Oh, <laughs> I'm guilty of that, too. I think I have made every poor decision. <laughs> I, I feel you. I, I, I This is all, you know, we've been in business 11 years, we've been running teams, and I... I Every one of these, if you're listening, you're going, oh, God, I promoted that person. I did that last year. All right. Yeah, yeah exactly. My, my, you know, there's a specialist position and they're really good and I want to promote them up to management. And I'm like, but I just need you to keep doing that other thing a little bit, you know, and now it's a year later and they're still doing both. So we've all done these things. Um, it's and, what makes uh, us experts. Right, right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this, this, this is cool hard knocks. I mean, I've read a lot of books. I've got a lot, you know, both of us have have degrees in this stuff. Yeah, you still, you know, there's no there was no book in my MBA course that was just like, hey, you know, what's going to happen when you promote this person? Because they can't lay it out that simply, right? There's got to be all there's got to be a broad framework for thinking about things. That's your education. And then you go in and you actually do it and you go, oh, oh, yeah. That's what, that's what that meant. That's, <laughs> I should not have done that. It, it's so true. And, and you know what's, it's, you know what, I, I, I've been going back and I, I have some of my old, my old business books. I have a degree in business and, and, and organizational leadership. I have a master's in organizational leadership. And I go back and I'm just looking through my notes and I'm looking through some of the textbooks and the books that we were reading. And I feel like, when you go back and you look at it 20 years later, in retrospect, it's very, it's not that they do a bad job. It's just no, so it's... difficult to even put you, like to even get a student to understand the dynamics of 100%. being in charge. It is, it is super hard. I have, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was running in a similar thing. We were, we were looking, this was about two years ago. I got my MBA in 2011, I think. Um, and I was, uh, yeah, 11 and I was reviewing uh, here like two years ago, we were working on a new system for project management, right? We were trying to figure out implementation for new clients and a faster and better way of communicating information. And I'd, um, I'd ordered a couple of businessy books, you know, like amazon.com bestsellers on, on client onboarding. And I, I liked them, but they weren't giving me quite enough. And I walked past my bookshelf and I found the giant thick textbooks, operations management, you know, from one of my master's degree courses. Can't remember what's in that book. I know I got an A in the class, <laughs> I had, but I opened that thing up, man. And so I just, the page I opened to was like implementing complex, implementing complex changes in 
service-based industries. And it's like 20 pages of charts and graphs and like flow charts and things. It was so freaking good. I was just like, oh my God, this is, it's like they knew. It's like you, they know I need this, but I had not even considered thinking back to what I, thinking back to what I learned in my MBA. Because <laughs> at the time I learned it and was like, I memorized that. That was good. Next. Um, so I guess that I, I've been shocking. I, since then, I've reread most of my MBA curriculum. Some of it's outdated. Some of it, I still don't understand why I had to learn that. But, <laughs> um, but a lot of it, man, I go, wow, now that I've got a company with a, that's a going concern and a lot of people, some of this stuff is really, really good. Some of those management principles are really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. But it all changes when you get into the position. I'll tell you, there's um, one of the main things I talk about is the five things I wish I knew before I became a manager. I wish somebody was able to tell me a couple of simple things before I got into management because it would have made it would have made the learning curve way flatter, right? I would have just been able to figure stuff out. I'll give you an example. We're all taught, and I'm sure your parents did a good job teaching you as well, that you're supposed to treat people the way you want to be treated, right? So you you want people to treat you with respect. You treat them with respect. You want people to be kind to you. You be kind to them. You want people to be nice to you. You be nice to them, right? What, treat people the way you want to be treated. In management, it just simply isn't the case. I wish that I could manage with high fives, good jokes, and bubble gum. I wish that every day was just smiles and rainbows. Like I was, it's having, can't wait to go to work and toss a ball. You know, just can't, it's super fun. It's not true. Managers have to have difficult conversations with difficult people. I have to talk to people the way that I do not want people to be talking to me. I have to treat people the way that I would never want to be treated. And it's not like I'm rude, that I'm abusive. And no, 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 I have to be firm. I have to eyeball to eyeball somebody. I have to write people up. I have to do performance reviews, not good performance reviews, but negative ones. I have to suspend people. I have to terminate people. I have to have conversations about people about questions of legality, sexual harassment, theft, theft of time, theft of property. These are conversations I would never want someone to have with me that I have to have with other people. So that whole idea that we think we're, we come into management, I certainly came into management with a, I'm, I love the idea. I mean, being in charge of people is the greatest job in the entire world, the greatest job in the entire world, because you get the whole idea about being in charge is you get to serve others. You get to help right. others be successful. I, I cannot tell you how much I enjoy that. I love it. However, there are some people I wish I never had to manage. There are some people I don't want to have a conversation with. There are people who are showing up to the office today that I am dreading knowing that I have to go in. In the pit of my stomach, I'm going to have to go talk to them again about being late, again about what it does to the rest of the team, again what it does, you know, poor work performance. So the idea that you, the noble idea that you should treat people the way you want to be treated, man, not in management. In management, you treat people the way they need to be treated. And that sometimes is way different, right? So that's what I mean. Like, that's just one of a few things that I wish people told me. I wish I had that. You know, here's, here's one. Here's here's a fun one. Uh, Praise publicly and reprimand privately. I would never want to be reprimanded publicly. I would never, I, 
if you have to talk to me, please take me into the deepest, darkest room with no windows and a six foot door, you know, <laughs> like just quietly tell me I'll straighten up. Whatever I did wrong, I'll, I'll correct it. On the other hand, if I do something right, oh, if you just yelled it from the rooftops for me and let everybody know how great I was yesterday, that'd be fantastic. The truth is in management, it is not always good to praise publicly. And it is not always good to reprimand privately. There is a dichotomy in that. I have been in a situation where I have said, oh, you did it so great again, like you always do. You're like my favorite. And then everybody <laughs> turned against me. Right. Like, oh, she's your favorite. Did I say that? You know, a total, I was trying to make a compliment one direction and got stabbed by eight people in the back, right? Like, it's not good. On the other side, I have talked to people privately about calling in or being late or quality of work, and then overheard them talking in the employee break room. Somebody said, hey, did Ralph talk to you? He said he was going to. And they go, no, he didn't say anything to me. He brought me into his office. He wanted to show me like some stupid thing, but he never, he would never yell at me. And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you can hear the category like, oh, there must be something going on with Ralph and that girl. Because, you know, if that was me, if, if I was the one who was always late, if I was the one, I, you know, he would have wrote, written me up. He would have certainly talked to me about it. I have employees who lie to other employees about getting in trouble. Even though they got in trouble, they're not going to tell anybody. They're not going to go, oh, my God, I got in so much trouble yesterday. For him. Ralph was so mad. No. They're like, no, Ralph didn't say anything. I'm not in trouble. What am I in trouble for? Because I was late a little bit. Big deal. It's a big deal to everybody. Everybody is mad. You know, it's like you ever get your, your – I always explain it like this. If somebody comes up too close to you and they step on your toe and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry about that. Are you okay? Even though it hurt. You're totally forgiving. You're like, yeah, I know. You're no big deal. But then if that same person every day came in and stepped on your toe, you'd be like, you'd be like, for the love of God, will somebody talk to this guy about stepping on my toe? That's what it's like when you're late every day. That's what it's like when you're not doing the type of quantity or quality work and everybody else has to pick up your slack. And everybody else is looking to the one person who has the authority, the job, the responsibility to speak up. And that's the manager. And if the manager speaks up, and nobody hears it. Did it count? The answer is no. The answer is no. So I don't reprimand for, with a bullhorn. I don't stand in the hallway in a long-term care facility in a nursing home like, all right, I'm going to write up Kelly. You know, today. Ah, no. But I'm pretty good. I've been getting pretty good about a couple of things. Number one, I will talk to somebody in front of everybody, but we'll off to the side. Everybody can just see we're talking. That's good. At least they see we're talking, right? Or I might accidentally, you know what I'm really good at? I've learned this trick. If I've got to write up a manager, I'll go to another manager's office and ask them for a write-up form. Hey, do you have a write-up form? Yeah, why do you, are you writing me? I'm like, no, no, I just need a write-up form. Just give it to me. And then you just watch them walk. They're watching me out the hall. They're poking their head out. Like, who's this going? And all of a sudden, everybody knows. <laughs> Playing that game, man. Well, you got so to, well, you got to. Well, that makes me think. So one thing that I've noticed this is this is recorded March thirty one. There's here we go. <laughs> yeah, I got to put this on there because this may not air for about a month. But there's a, there's a whole world of now remote work, right? And of course, it's yeah. been going on for years. A lot of our clients and us have been remote work for a long time, but many companies are experiencing this for the first time. In terms of we we, we actually got this question in our performance management system, 
Um, we have goal settings. We have kind of weekly reviews. Some of the key tools that are needed to keep up with performance management, uh, KPIs, those kind of things. And in the office environment, a lot of that can be, should be, and is very private. Um, but yet people kind of know where everyone stands because of office cooler talk. And, you know, you, you just kind of know, but in the work from home environment, you're almost, you're, you're a little bit more isolated in terms of, uh, knowing the actions that are occurring to another employee. So in, it's, it's, this, this comes up because you talked about the kind of more public reprimand, or at least the, uh, social knowledge of a, of a reprimand. But that's not really possible in a work from home or distributed workforce situation. Mm-hmm. What do you think the remote work effect has? Should some of those things that we maybe did a little more, um, I don't know, it just happened because it was in person and we were, uh, you know, everyone knows that that Jack was in your office for an hour long meeting. How do we replicate, replicate that in a, in a more uh, technology and remote, remote work setup? Well, I think a couple of things. One, there are there are still some settings where, especially I work in, in nursing homes. It's we're sure. unable they're to not, work from not, home. Right, they're not. They're we, not don't, tele- we don't have the ability. <laughs> right. And, and the second thing is the the best thing that we can do from a remote management point of view is to simply over manage micro. I'm going to use air quotes. Micromanage. Mm. The, the employee as far as what they have to have done, when they have to have it done, and how you're going to communicate that it is done. But that, generally speaking, isn't going to overflow somebody else. So if I have three employees and they're all in different locations and they're all doing the same reports, you're going to do those 10, you're doing these 10, you're doing these 10. If this person doesn't do their 10, those two others aren't picking up their slack, generally speaking. And so they wouldn't even know. They wouldn't feel the effects. And so they wouldn't need to, ha- to be exposed to the conversation, the difficult conversation, as it were, with the person who is not living up to par. Hmm. You know, so it's different. It just changes it a little bit. Yeah. When you're, um, let's say that someone listening right now has got 15 or 20 employees and maybe they've got one quote unquote manager. Um, They, they, the owner and, and the, the two owners are doing a lot of this but it's a very informal process of management. If there were three things that they could implement right now after listening to our conversation uh, that would help them get started down the track of having a a management system, what would be kind of your first, hey guys, you came to the 30-minute meeting, here's two things, three things you can do that would make this worthwhile uh, to go back and implement in your teams. What are your thoughts? Well, the first thing I would say is if you have a... If you have a loose management system right now and it's working, I don't know that I would change a whole lot. I'm a big fan of things working. I'm a big fan of measuring results. How do you know if you're effective by the by the results you're getting? So if it's completely mm. working, but if you're even considering it, then I would consider it right at the beginning. Number one, I would make a straight line, a silo between the employee and the manager. I have as an example, I have five rules for managers, and I'm not going to go through all my five rules. I'm just going to go to rule number one. Rule number one is managers are not allowed to walk by trash. And so when you hear that, um, every manager I've ever worked with, when I told them, hey, one of my expectations is managers are never allowed to walk by trash, they smile. I mean, they can't even control 
how wide their grin gets on their face because they go, I've never walked by trash. I am the type of person who has always picked up trash. I would never. That's quite frankly, that's how we find the people we're promoting to exactly. leadership. We look for people right. who don't walk by trash. Okay. Here's my caveat. Managers are not allowed to walk by trash and they're not allowed to pick it up. Ooh. See, I'm Ooh. going to I'm going to challenge your whole notion on your belief that you can be in charge. I'll say 75, maybe 80% of the people that I work with have no desire to be in charge. Only about 25, 20, 25% of the people really ever even want to tip their toe into a management situation. And when I bring up rule number one, I lose 15% of them. Just oh, yeah. Right off the bat. Oh, yeah. It's the, like, yeah. The mm -hmm. idea that they have to make somebody else. Well, I mean, I don't know who put the trash there. It's not, it doesn't matter who dropped the trash. Well, what if it's gross? It doesn't matter if it's gross. Well, I don't know how long it's been there. It doesn't matter. Well, I don't know what they're going to say. It doesn't matter what they're going to say. If you really want to be an effective manager, and that's all I'm interested in, anybody can get promoted to leadership. Anybody. It's super easy. We're so right. desperate for managers. We're desperate for it. Um, in my company, I'm just like, tell me you want a promotion and it's exactly. there. Exactly. It's like, I'll give you more money. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're desperate. But if you want to be effective, you have to have the ability, the guts to not walk by trash and not pick it up. So just imagine, you can see some people just standing there all day. Well, Ralph told me I can't walk by this trash and I can't pick it up, so I'm just going to stand here beside the trash. You're missing the point. <laughs> right, got, right. The next person who's walking by, go, hey, would you pick this up for me? Think about the attitude you're going to get. Why don't you pick it up? I'm asking you to pick it up. I didn't drop it there. I didn't ask if you dropped it there. It's gross. I'm not picking it okay. It is a litmus test to managers. If, you're, if you really want to get serious, about making sure that your team, your managers have the ability to be effective, implement rule number one. Managers no longer allowed to walk by trash. Number two, or caveat to that, and they're not allowed to pick it up. That is the crux of it all. The that is the of headliner all. of this episode. I'm putting the that headliner. On there the you go. Post. That's outstanding. Um, what a great rule. And you have four more. I have four Man. more. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So, Wow, that's a that's such a great encapsulation. I've 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 been doing this a long time, and I've I've uh, you know we've talked about performance management structure, but I think that is such a um, great way to to communicate the expectation because it's the number one problem you get. You either get people. I mean, it's rare enough to find someone who says, "Yeah, I want to work harder. I want to I want to I want to be responsible for more. And if anything goes wrong, it's my fault." That's a hard enough find. But then to say, and on top of that, you can't fix it yourself. You got to find, whoo, but I that's have, exactly right. And that's why really only 5%. That's right. And, that, and that's, that's the number I see a lot is, um, and, and, and you see this in some of the larger companies that are cycling major management programs. Like they hire a cohort of a hundred managers and send them out, you know, and it's, uh, almost the warm body method of hiring. They may have basic qualifications, but that's the, you know, we're gonna take a hundred fresh college grads and stick them out into an apprenticeship program. It's like six that are there in three years, right? It's that's just right. not a high because it takes a very rare person to do that. I give out uh, management training boxes, management training toolboxes. And it's a literal blue box. It's management training toolbox. And in it is all the things you need to train a manager. And one of the funnest things in there is a set of handcuffs. 
(laughs) (laughs) And it is because the first thing every new manager wants to do is do it themselves. And the only way to get them effective in the long term is to make it so they can't do it themselves. Mm. It's the only thing. That is a fun no button because that's the other thing managers, new managers have a problem with is saying no. Oh, yeah. No. no. I'm sorry. You can't take that day off. That, that's, you know, already got, <laughs> there are three people off that day. They've all that's requested right. it a month ago. That's, right. that's not your day off. I'm sorry. That's right. Everybody wants to say It's easy to say yes. Managers are bad yeah. to say no. So if um, if someone wanted to – so let me ask you this. Let's say we've yeah. got a uh, – because I, I have this all the time. We, we, we have a very – our average client has about 120 clients, and I don't stress about them as much because a lot of times by the time you've scaled – there's improvements to make, but you've got the basics in. But the majority of questions we'll get after an episode like this is, I don't have a manager. It's just me. And I do all of the work. And I have people and they do their little thing, but I'm constantly doing other stuff. Uh, this really spoke to me. I mean, Ralph, is there? Is it you? Is, is, is this something people should reach out to you about when they're a five-man shop, not in healthcare? Or if not that, what would you say are the best resources you could direct them to to think about? Well, I'll say I'll say two things. One, I am a management consultant. So if anybody wants to have some one-on-one conversations with me, absolutely reach out. That's what I do for work. I'm totally available for that. The second thing is, and the most important thing that I think I've done in my career and my development is to find is to buddy up with other people in similar situations. I have great friends that I've had for years that are in management positions that are just like me. And we just, I'm on the phone with them and we're just like, what about this? And did you think about that? And we're just spitballing because management development is not like working at a factory. If I, if I brought you in and said, all right, Rami, we're going to go and learn how to make this new car part. I'd bring you to the machine. I'd pull the sheet metal out. I'd put it in the thing and I'd slam it down. And I'd like, hey, there's a fender. I'm like, all right, now you do it. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that in management. I can't go, uh, all right, on the checklist, there's another thing. We haven't written anybody up yet. I think I know who we can write up today. Let's go up. I'm sure she's not doing something right. That doesn't work, right? You can't just go, oh, let's right. go have a let's go have a difficult conversation with somebody. Oh, I know who we can have the conversation with. I've been meaning to write her up for a long time, you know. <laughs> so there are a lot of management situations that you're going to run into that you're not going to have. You're, it's going to be side blinded you. I remember, I remember once where I had a sexual harassment claim from an employee against another a manager. And when I went to their department to have the conversation with that manager about the accusation of one of his employees, sexual harassment accusation, when I got there, he said, hey, I'm glad you're here. I have all the men in the in a conference room. We're having a sexual harassment in service. And I was like, seriously? He goes, yeah, we're doing it right now. But you, you should sit in on it. And so we sit on this in service and this manager goes through all the things about how easy it is to be misconstrued and all these things about sexual harassment and don't do this and don't do that and these best practices. And then everybody leaves and I go, yeah, so um, this is awkward. Uh, The reason I'm here is because somebody is accusing you. Like you never Uh get that scenario, right? That'll never duplicate again in my life, I hope. Right? (laughs) Super awkward. Yes. But that's Uh, why you have to- uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Please. Continue. No, it's okay. That's why you have, that's why it's so helpful to be able to find people who are in management, who you have a good rapport with, who 
can be open and honest and you can be open and honest with them and just have this running dialogue, someone to call and go, Hey, I have this scenario going on. You know, I have a client who is, they're fairly new and they are always nervous about the, the first time having to write somebody up or talk to somebody. I'm in their ear. Like, I'm like, all right, put in one earbud and put me on mute and have the conversation with them. And then we'll talk about, you know, what we did right, what we did wrong, how we can do better the next time. And so it gives some level of comfort to them, you know, so there, and then afterward I go, okay, so how'd you think that went? We dissect his conversation that he just had with with a new employee, you know, first time writing somebody up. That's helpful. If you can get other people to do that with you, if you can say, hey, would you just listen in on me? Especially, especially if it's a, a female manager and she's new and the male mm-hmm. she has to write up is pretty aggressive. That can be very challenging. Or conversely, if it's a male manager and they're scared about having a woman in their office and nobody else in there and they don't want to embarrass her. So they don't want right. to do it outside the office. You know, there's so many dynamics, you know, having somebody else privately on a phone with you is really helpful in management. If for no other reason than do, to be able to talk about, how did I do there? You know, how could I have gotten better? What should I have said? What would you have said? You know, you've given some amazing nuggets on this, uh, and and I'm, I'm gonna do one kind of pushback, and and this is what you've talked about is very unique to the situation of a given manager. It's about soft skills. It's about mentality. All that's really good, and. Honestly, I think in in my company personally, probably the place where we lack the most. We're a process organization, though. Everything we do, man, it's all like, you know, checklist one, two, three, four, internet, we're going to have an app that's going to track this thing. We're going to make a a process. And so I I know in my company, one of the places we often lack is in that support of the mentality, kind of what you've been hitting on. So I'm finding this conversation riveting. But I want to ask you, if there is one process, one checklist, one step-by-step that you could share with us that you think would be excellent for uh, managers in uh, organizations to go through, what would you, how would you lay that out? Like if it were a step-by-step thing that they could do? I'm not sure I understand exactly what you mean. Like as far as how to get better at being a manager? Well, maybe. So I think um, in my in my in my company and in a lot of our clients, we think in terms of something you can put in a process manager. So maybe uh, upon promotion, a manager goes through the following trainings. Uh, they have the following lists to use. Uh, a common uh, problem with a manager is a tardy. They walk. They when, whenever someone's tardy, they are to use this form and fill it out this way and file it here. That's a that's a very simple process. Yeah, but. A lot of times in terms of managing performance, um, there are things like one-on-ones weekly, there are KPIs people can set up, there are broad um, uh, goal-setting pieces. Is there any, is, is, do you work in that world as well, kind of the systems around management more than the, the people in the management? I, I do, but... So here's here's the biggest I think the biggest advice I could give anybody, and that is to embrace mm-hmm. micromanagement. And that probably flies in the face of what everybody in the entire universe thinks. Everybody thinks that micromanagement is the absolute worst thing, and nobody wants to work for a micromanager, and nobody wants to be a micromanager. 
Here's the truth. You don't get to decide. I, I work with people every day who say they shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to check on them all the time. I shouldn't have to check on a grown man. I mean, he should be responsible enough to get his stuff done. I shouldn't have to check on them three times a day. I shouldn't have to have you send me a report every day. I shouldn't have to be... Those shouldn't have tos are what's going to kill your effectiveness as a leader. So the number one thing that I do when I'm taking over a department in long-term care, when I am working with a company, we we have 10 different managers traditionally. And then we have an administrator and a director of nursing. So 12 managers in a nursing home. The number, the two at the top, the administrator and the DON, everybody else is under those two. And they do all the support services, housekeeping management, dietary management, maintenance management. I'm telling you. If we did not make a checklist that everybody has to adhere to, okay, this is all the things you need to do every day. These are all the things you need to do every day. And they're all different. This is what you do on Mondays. This is what you do on Tuesdays. This is what you do on Wednesdays. This is how we report every morning. We're going to report every Friday. We're going to report on this every month. We have to get together and get a, a, a group together. So that is super important. It is super important to micromanage your processes. You have to know what it is you're expecting from your management and what their managers are expecting from their staff in order to ensure it's done. We work in healthcare. I don't have the luxury of believing you. I don't have the luxury of saying, <laughs> right. oh, I'm you sure you're going to do right. the fire alarms this month. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll get to it. I don't have the luxury because mm. people die in my industry. And sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's right. because we didn't micromanage enough. Sometimes it's because we didn't follow up enough. Sometimes because we didn't even think about the processes that we have in place and what and the gaps that exist. So that is completely where I live. I live completely in the world of what are they reporting on? What is the end goal? How do you move in that direction? And understanding manager's intent. Manager's intent always has to change, ebb and flow with the job. So, you know, we start the day. I have job routines for fully staffed. I have five nurses. Oh, I love it when I'm fully staffed to five nurses. This is how the job flow goes. Oh, uh, you know, I'm usually down three. So here, this is this is what the staffing is for five. It's my ideal. This is the staffing for four. Not that terrible. This is my staffing for three. It's oh, not the greatest. Here's my staffing. This is what I expect for one, if I only have one nurse show up. My, the manager's intent changes. When I have five people, I expect a lot more than if I only have one person. Right. But to be a proactive, effective manager, you have to have that thought, that write-up, that job routine, all of those different segments done beforehand. So that's what I do. I help you start like, all right, this is really great. And this is when it's all falling apart. And this is what our management intent should be at each level. And this is how they should be reporting. And this is how we're going to make sure it's working. And this is how we're going to report on that and how we're going to check this. So understanding where, what your end goal is, what all the processes are. I, and I do job routines. I do job flows by the time. So at 7, you punch in. By 7.30, you need to have this done. And then this done by 8.15. And then this done by – and you have to have that job flow. You have to have that workflow or you're not going to be able to understand the challenges the employee is going to have. And sometimes that's how you figure out you need more staff or you have too much staff. Right. So, uh, Ralph, a lot to management. I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> no, man, you're, you're killing it. I, um, you, you've, you've been an outstanding guest. You, let me ask you one more thing. 
Yeah. You have a couple of books you've written, but your most recent yeah. is Congratulations, Now Get Over Yourself, Confessions of a Management <laughs> Development Host. Because Sounds it's the out. first it's the first thing all managers should do. Like, we'll go, oh my God, they promoted you. Congratulations. Well, the hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't wait to read it. But if you could recommend one book for a new manager besides your own to go right next to yours, if, if, yeah. if I wanted to grab one for mine, what, what book would you recommend? Yeah. All right. So, uh, it shouldn't even be on the same shelf as mine because it is 10 times better than mine. And it is the one minute manager by Ken Blanchard. That mm. book changed my life in management. It made me look at management the most effective way. Three awesome. simple rules. One minute manager. We'll have links one minute to both phrasing, of those one minute reprimand, one minute training. What's that? We'll have links to both of those down in the Yeah. One minute management by Ken Blanchard. Amazing book. Awesome. Well, Ralph, if someone's been listening to our podcast here today and goes, you know what? I need this help. I, I mean, I, I, I've got people, quote, unquote, in management, or I'm new to management myself. Like, what would be the maybe two different ways that they should, you know, who should contact you? How should they do so? Uh, I know you have courses on your website. You have a book. You offer consulting. So what would be, how would you kind of break those people up? And who do you think maybe isn't a good fit for you right now? Well, uh, let me answer the, the second question first. Who is not a good fit for me? The who is not a good fit for me is super easy. If you're interested in hiring a management consultant, whether it's me or anybody else, and it's for your team, your team of managers, mm-hmm. understand that you have to pull the change. A lot of times people will hire me and they'll go, oh, just go see my managers. And the managers, they didn't hire me. They didn't want me. They certainly don't want to listen to me. It's got to be pulled, not pushed. So anytime leadership training goes on, it has to be pulled by the person doing the hiring. So if you're the hiring person who's got a management team, if you're the administrator in a nursing home and you want to train your managers, hire a consultant, whether it's me or anybody else, you have to be involved in that training as well for it to stick. That's the biggest thing. So if you're... Just like, hey, I would love to buy that as a gift certificate to somebody. You're wasting everybody's time and money. That's it doesn't work that way. So, that's that's the main thing. Um, and then how to get a hold of me is easy. It's RalphPeterson.com, and you'll find my email there, which is super easy. It's Ralph at RalphPeterson.com. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to talk to my assistant, it's India at RalphPeterson.com. So uh, again, just RalphPeterson.com. You'll find everything. You'll find all my social media links. You'll find all my books, everything. So best way to get a hold of me. That's outstanding. Thank you so much for coming on the People Processes podcast. I think you've provided excellent value and uh, I uh, very much appreciate it. I hope some of our listeners and clients reach out to you and uh, uh, develop that relationship further. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Now, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rami Alijil. I'm the CEO over here at People Processes. Ralph has given us some outstanding nuggets of wisdom. I love his first rule. I know on his website, he has a mini course where he details out some of the the other rules as well. You may want to check him out at ralphpeterson.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe at peopleprocesses.com so we can send you our subscriber-only content. Right now, we've been making some great progress in everything from sample policies around the FFCRA, information on applying for loans under the CARES Act. Of course, we have niche-specific information, everything from nursing homes and home health care organizations to haircutting salons and law firms. 
so we'd love to get you access to that again at peopleprocesses.com. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. I hope you learned something. Now it's time for you to go out there and get your work done.